1: Just the best literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on our last program, I continued discussing Marlowe as a premier storyteller. Now, I plan to come back uh, to more about Marlowe, uh, even somewhat in today's program. But for today's program, I want to spend some time discussing probably the most overlooked character of this short 36 page story. Now, to help me do this today, I have with me in the studio my personal assistant, Gabe. And uh, also, Gabe is also a part-time producer here for the JBL radio program. So welcome to the program, Gabe. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's great. I'm really great. I'm not, I'm really, it's really great I'm not by myself today. So, so uh, the, the thing that I want to do is I want to introduce this character to you. And uh, I was talking to my wife about this, and she thought, wow, this is really cool. I think she's a little disappointed she's not here today. But I wanted Gabe in here with me today. So uh, he's in here with me anyway, so I might as well put him to double use, I guess. So anyway, that character that I want to talk to you about is the Judea. And uh, you might think that's a little crazy, but I think by the time this program is over, you're going to agree with me. All right, before I get into uh, any discussion, I want to go back to... The end notes in my volume on uh, on youth. And remember now, I, I think I've been talking about this uh, several times. Is that I have a three-story volume that was produced, and uh, it combines youth, uh, heart of darkness, and secret sharer. And if you can find this uh, this volume, you can go to abbooks.com and and look it up. And I'm sure you could find it. But there are, there are a set of endnotes at, at the end of the story, and it's really good. And, and uh, here's one for the Judea. Now, here's what the note says. It says, the ship Conrad served on as second mate from 1881 to 1883, and that he used as the model for the Judea was actually named the Palestine. So, although the events of youth are loosely based on Conrad's experiences, the story is not Conrad claims they uh, they 're uh, not a work of autobiography, but uh, I think um, I think I said to you before, certainly there's a lot of of Conrad in this story, certainly there is a lot of his own life in this story and before we 're done with this book, I do want to give you a little bit more history on the Palestine because I think we 're going to find that uh, some of the events on the Judea are also also, in a very similar way, happened on the Palestine. Now, I, I want to go to to start out today and talk a little bit about um, the the uh, Australian Clipper, just just to open up this discussion. And uh, if you notice, like on page eight, he's he's talking about uh, when he was going to uh, sign up to be on the Judea and uh, he had told captain beard that well he felt like he should be on this ship because he had been on an australian clipper and i just want you to notice that he gives no name to the australian clipper but he does you know give us the name of the judea so so i, I think what what conrad is doing he's already setting up to, uh, setting us up to think well there is something very special about this this ship the judea and i think very early on we did discuss that uh you know the Judea is a bark it is a sailing ship and uh um uh, you know it was not a steamer and that that even conrad did not like the fact that steamers were taking over the shipping industry and the sailing ships were actually going away and so so i i think you could see conrad behind this in his thinking he really wants to um you know just highlight that, that it's kind of like a sad thing that these sailing ships were actually dying out or not being used. And I think you're going to see that's why he personifies or gives a personality to the G- Judea more than any other. Notice, uh, I, I think I read some of this to you before, but I'm going to go down in in the, my page, down to the paragraph that says, I join tomorrow. And so, so remember that this captain had said to him uh, when he came... Off the clipper, and he came on to the Judea. He said, "Ah, but this is different. And you gentlemen out of them big ships, but there, I dare say, you will do. You, you, you will do. So join tomorrow. And so, so the the, the thing is, what what the captain Beard was saying is, well, you're really going to work on this ship. And uh, you know those Australian clippers, uh, you probably didn't have to work as hard. And of course." We know from the story that Marlowe really kind of takes offense at that. And uh, uh, he says, Marlowe says, I joined tomorrow. It was 22 years ago and I was just 20. How time passes. And so so I think that also, I think uh, sometimes the last program I got a little bit confused about the age again. And so uh, I thought we just clear that up right away today as well. So, um, you know, he's he's uh, it's 22 years later that he's now talking about these events on the Judea. And uh, he was 20 at that time. So so I think maybe we can correct that. Now, he says, How time passes. It was one of the happiest days of my life. Fancy. Second mate for the first time, a really responsible officer. I wouldn't have thrown up my new billet for a fortune. And I, I also want to correct something I said. Uh, when I... Uh, Sometimes you have to understand, uh, listeners out there, when we're when we're doing a program like this. You know, there's a lot of things in our mind. We're trying to get everything in in so, a short amount of time. And I guess in my mind, I confused billet for a billfold, <laughs> and I said, uh, you know, he wouldn't give up his wallet for something like that. But actually, it, billet is a a word, <laughs> and uh, it it what it means is uh, a place or position. It has nothing to do with a billfold or a wallet. So sorry about that. So essentially, what he's saying, and and he's he's talking, uh, you know, in uh, about his young life, and how he felt at the time, and and he was not going to give up this position as second mate on the Judea, even though it was not a steamer. He said he would not give this up for anything, not for a fortune. And so so I, I, if we miss that. I think we're going to miss the uh maybe the, the importance of the Judea. So so I th- I think the uh the first thing I want to talk about is the Judea's characteristics. And remember last time we talked about Marlowe was he was a great observer of people. And if you go through this again it's just a short little 30 page a uh, 36 page uh, story, but if you go through it, he gives a lot of really uh, let 's say colorful and clear descriptions of the Judea and the The thing is 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 what I want you to see is if you don 't want to miss it, you don 't want to skip over things and I know some people that read they they think maybe something isn 't important, so they 'll skip over it but But when you have a short story like this, you really need to pay attention to every paragraph you 're reading. And uh, when when we look at it, he really does give the ship a personality. And there are characteristics, for example, that he would have noticed about Beard, or he would have noticed about German, or he would have noticed about Mrs. Beard. He gives all those clear uh, kind of descriptions of them. He gives the same thing to the ship. And here's what he says. He says, the ship was also old. This is the bottom of my page eight. Her name was the Judea. And he says, "Queer name, isn't it? She belonged to a man, Wilmer, comma Wilcox, dash some name like that. But he has been bankrupt and dead these twenty years or more, and his name don't matter. So, so what he's saying is, what really matters here is the name Judea. You know, the honor doesn't matter, uh, and you know the Judea really does matter. It really matters to him. And notice what he goes on to say: She had been laid up in a Shadwell basin." For ever so long, you, ima- you may imagine her state. She was all rust, dust, grime, suit aloft, dirt on the deck. To me, it was like coming out of a palace into a ruined cottage. And so, so he, he is hearkening back to this, his time on the clipper. He said, wow, it's like coming out of a palace, but it's, it's, he's uh, moving on to a ruined cottage. He says she was about 400 tons, had a primitive windlass, And, of course, a windlass is just an instrument to, uh, you know, uh, lower the anchor or raise the anchor. She had wooden latches to the doors, not a bit of brass about her, and a big square stern. There was on it, below her name, in big letters, a lot of scroll work with the gilt off and some sort of coat of arms with the motto, do or die, underneath. And he goes on to say, I remember it took my fancy immensely and so so here you know he's uh, obviously he's, glorify, he's uh, glorify, uh, glorifying himself for being a second mate but he's also now just really impressed with this sailing ship and notice he says there was a touch of romance and it, something that made me love the old thing something that appealed to my youth so so I, I think that's really interesting but notice he gives her or the Judea as much detail as he does some of the other characters. So I'm going to let Gabe now speak up here, let you hear Gabe talk to us now. So what do you think so far?
0: Well, I think it's interesting that he uses a, um, a, a sail ship here instead of a steamship, because if you look back at like all the, steam, or all the sail ships, they're technically given more of a romantic feel to them throughout history as a, and then you get to these steamships that they've built and they're these just big hunks of wood and metal that uh, really just put out a bunch of steam and smoke and right. it's just not really a pretty sight whereas seeing those sails on the horizon was a much uh, nicer view for
1: a lot of people. Right, right. So he, he definitely uh, he, obviously Conrad does love, love the romance of course even when we get into Heart of Darkness you're going to see... Um, you know that the that the actual steamship in there uh, has a lot of problems; <laughs> it breaks down all the time. So, um, but the, the the thing is, I think uh, Gabe the way the way I look at this is is his description of the Judea is almost very similar to his description of Mrs. Beard. And you know that the thing he said about Mrs. Beard, and I'll let you look it up for yourself, is that uh, she had a face that was all wrinkled and ruddy like a winter apple and the figure of a young girl and so so if, if you if you look at it you know he's he's uh he definitely sees the judea as, as as someone feminine someone that he's attracted to but uh you know he he really does um you know give give her or judea uh, is what i'm talking about now he really gives her a great a great uh discussion there and so so you, you can see that he's really trying to draw us in but but like i said um if you're really looking for a different storyline, if you're looking, if you're really looking for maybe the hidden meanings in the in the story, you're going to to really miss the importance of the Judea. She is really uh, one of the big the big uh, uh, mysteries, I think, in the whole story. Now, notice he all goes on to say that her motto was "do or die." Now, I want to go back just to one end note on this, and just to show you that. Uh, Conrad was really well-read in literature. And um, and so, remember now, he's fabricating these things in his mind. He's he's putting them in there on purpose as a writer. But if you look at this expression, do or die, in the end notes, it says the Judea's motto is based on a well-known phrase that had been in circulation at least since 16, uh, 1621. There was a play titled The Island Princess, by, let me get, turn this page, by John Fletcher. It says, let meet and either do or die, is seen in act two, seen, seen to. The phrase has been used famously in slightly altered form in the 1854 poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade. And that was by the British poet laureate, Alfred Lord Tennyson. Now, also, it was Winston Churchill that memorized the, this Charge of the Light Brigade when he was... You know, in his uh, grammar school days, and uh, I think he he uh, really impressed his uh, you know instructors that he could do that because he did not really like school. He kind of fought school anyway. But uh, here's what Tennyson had written. He said, "There is not there's not to reason why, there is but to do and die." And uh, this uh, author goes on to say the poem sings the praises of a group of English soldiers dutifully engaged in a hopeless battle against the Russians during the Crimean War, and so, so you know, essentially, uh, you know, he's saying, uh, do or die. That that this is kind of like the character of the Judea. This is this is the Judea's motto for life. And um, um, as we go through the story, we actually find out that that, that it, there's almost like a funeral uh, ceremony for her at the end of the story. But, but I think uh, it's also important that he says there was a touch of romance and it. something made me love the old thing, something that appealed to my youth. So so certainly, um, you know, it's it's like this, this ship has these feminine qualities. Now, I, I think the, some of the things we want to learn about her is it... it is on the same page at the very bottom is uh some of her characteristics is one of the first things uh we see here is is the beginning of all the mishaps of the judea and really in this in this short story of 36 pages there's almost like one mishap after another and uh, uh some some critics some literature critics have criticized that that it just seems like well it's just one bad thing after another but I think they missed the point of what it really helped bring out, and uh, I think that's one thing about the Judea that is really important, and it's what she brings out in Marlowe. and so that's why I look at her as you know an important character. So r- right there at the bottom of page nine, you know they're finally uh, you know getting the ship out, they're getting uh, you know out in uh, out down the Thames, out into the to the uh, you know to the ocean. And uh, first thing they they hit is a gale, and this is the the bottom paragraph, you know, of page nine. Notice uh, Conrad writes, "We were a week working up as far as Yarmouth Roads, and then we got into a gale." But notice it's just not any gale. Uh, Marlowe says it's the famous October gale of twenty-two years ago. It was wind, lightning, sleet, snow, and a terrific sea. We were flying light, and you may imagine how bad it was when I tell you we had smashed bulwarks and, uh, and a flooded deck. Now, these are parts of the ship that are on, on the, the top part of the ship, and uh, this gale was just really tearing them apart. It says, on the second night, she shifted her ballast into the Lee-Bow, and by that time, we had been blown off somewhere on the dog, the Dodger Bank. And so, so essentially, if you if you understand anything about shipping, is ships need to have a ballast to keep them stable on the water, and they were they were actually going to get a load of coal, and so they had to have sand as a ballast to keep the ship the ship steady till they could get to the port and pick up their coal, and so so uh, he, essentially he's telling us, you know, the Judea is really struggling in this gale; she she shifted her balance. And notice he says there was nothing for it, but to, nothing for it but go below with shovels and try to right her and there we were in that vast hold, gloomy, like a cavern, the tallow dips stuck and flickering on the beams, the gale howling above, the ship tossing about like mad on her side. There we all were, German, the captain, everyone, hardly able to keep our feet, engaged on that grave digger's work trying to toss shovels full of wet sand up to windward. At every tumble of the ship, you could see vaguely in the dim light men falling down with a great flourish of shovels. One of the ship's boys, we had two, impressed by the weirdness of the scene, wept as if his heart would break. We could hear him blubbering somewhere in the shadows. So, so you can see that the Judea was not able to really uh, face the gale. I mean, she she uh, she was there, but she was really struggling. She wasn't, uh, let's say, uh, maybe back to her youth. And so, so, uh, uh, but but if you notice, as as um, Marlo goes through the story, he never really comes out and uh, is negative about her. He never complains about her. You know, he, he never points the finger at her. And so uh, uh, I know Gabe has read the story. So would, do you think my analysis there is good? Uh, yeah, I do. He doesn't have to say that, but he did. You know, go, <laughs> ahead. go ahead. You've got to say more.
0: Um, well, I do think it's pretty interesting how um, he does have a pretty positive outlook throughout the entire thing. And, you know, he is pretty young at this point. I think he's. we, we uh, made mention that he's about 20 years old at this point. And I feel like a lot of younger people, when they're in this sort of life, they don't necessarily have a lot of the cares and worries of life. So they do tend to have a more positive outlook, and they're more excited on a lot of the things uh, in life. And I think Marlo, in this
1: case, uh, certainly does follow that. Okay, yeah. That's why it's good to have young people here. I, I forget what the young days were like. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that, because I really feel like I'm still very young. You know, i may. I may have be uh, 68. I don't feel 68. I still feel like I'm 19. So I'm even younger. I'm even younger than Marlowe. So that's the way I feel in my mind. Someday I'll have to face reality, I guess. Uh, it, it, if we go on to the story, I think it's interesting. As, as we go through the next, of course, the next mishap, mishap is uh, it's, they get wrecked by a steamer. <laughs> and I think that's that's uh, kind of um, again pre-planned by Conrad. And th- this is uh, um, if it this is kind of star- starting on the bottom of page ten, and it goes up to page eleven again. Now that's that's it in my book. So notice uh, he goes on to say that they finally got rid of uh, they got through all of the the uh, disaster that happened with the Gale, and it says uh, at the bottom of page ten it says they loaded us at last. We shipped a crew eight able seamen and two boys. We hauled off one evening to the boys at the dock gates, ready to go out with a fair prospect of beginning the voyage the next day. And so so they were ready to get out there. It says, um, uh, it's, he, he said that the when the ship was fast or was ready to go, it says they went to tea. And I think most people that know the English know that tea is like after, late afternoon, and it's really like a, like a supper in many ways. I know the first time I went to England, uh, people invited me to tea. And I didn't know whether I wanted to go or not. And then I realized, wow, there's a lot of good food there. So uh, I learned my lesson about tea in the afternoon. He said, we, we sat rather suddenly through the meal. He says, man, the old couple and I finished first and slipped away for a smoke, my cabin being in a deckhouse just against the poop. Now, that's another part of the ship. Said it was high water, blowing fresh with a drizzle. The double dock gates were open, and the steam collars were going in and out in the darkness with their lights burning bright, a great splashing of propellers, rattling of winches, and a lot of hailing on the pier heads. I watched the process of headlights gliding high and of green lights gliding low in the night when suddenly a red gleam fast flashed at me, vanished, came into view again, and remained. The fore end of a steamer loomed up close. I shouted down to the cabin, come come up quick, and then heard a startled voice saying afar in the dark, stop her, sir. A bell jingled, another voice cried warningly, we are going right into that bark, sir. The answer to this was a gruff, all right, and the next thing was this heavy crash as the steamer struck a glancing blow with the bluff of a bow about our fore rigging. And so, so here, you know, uh, the Judea is finally propped up, ready to go, and she 's hit by a steamer so again, I don't think that's by coincidence that Conrad puts us in there because you know he saw the steamers as damaging you know the the uh, sail ship industry and so so uh, notice I think it's it's funny, and it, maybe it's maybe it's not so much funny, but i I do think again this is planted. This is the ship that's also a steamer is given a name, and uh, notice the 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 Australian clipper was not given a name, but he gives this ship a name, and her name was uh, he said it, it says they shouted at at some name a woman's name Miranda or Melissa or some such thing, so 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 notice there's not the uh, maybe the respect for a steamer that there is for the bark and uh you know Judea is kind of a really a cool name to be honest and uh but Miranda or Melissa eh, I don't know uh I don't want to offend anybody by the name of Miranda or Melissa but I think uh trying to get into the attitude of Conrad when it comes to to steamers so I, I do think that's that's uh, uh amazing so obviously there's a whole little bit of a story there that we're not going to cover with the beards and how they got off the ship and all that but essentially, uh, again, there's a mishap and they're stopped again. And so uh, it, it took them three weeks to get the, uh, the ship re- uh, prepared again to go out. And so, so uh, notice on the bottom of page 12, it says, It lasted all down this, the North Sea, all down Channel. It lasted till we were 300 miles or so to the westward of the lizards. Then the wind went round to the southwest and began to pipe up. In two days it blew a gale. So, so here they're facing another gale. So, so they've had a gale; they've been crashed, you know, by a, a steamer. Now they're in another gale. But notice how proud he is of the Judea. This is the bottom of the page. He says the, G- the Judea hove to, and to hove to is to like drive that ship into the wind, so it can't be uh, bounced around in the sea, and uh, it it can't lose its ground. Uh, or maybe, uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what that means. It says, The Hove to wallowed on the Atlantic like an old candle box. It blew day after day. It blew with spite, without interval, without mercy, without rest. The world was nothing but an immensity of great foaming waves at us and under a sky low enough to touch with the hand and dirty like a smoked ceiling. In the stormy space surrounding us, there was much flying spray at the air, Day after day, night after night, there was nothing around the ship but the howl of the wind, the tumult of the sea, the noise of water pouring over her deck. There was no rest for her and no rest for us. She tossed, she pitched, she stood on her head, she sat on her tail, she rolled, she groaned. She had to hold on while on deck, no, excuse me, and we had to hold on while on deck and cling to our bunks when below in a constant effort of body and worry of mind. And so, so notice how he's, he's really, in, man, in many ways, praising the Judea. He's praising her because here, here she faces the gale and wins. You know, she stays afloat. You know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a problem for them. But <laughs> another disaster comes up again. So uh, uh, he goes on to then talk about one night man spoke to him through a small window of his birth and he wanted to have a sounding rod and so so essentially um, you know we have to understand that the uh the Judea is taking on water, and so they need to start pumping and uh, uh so if you if again, this is page thirteen in my book, it says, I gave him the sounding rod and lay down again, trying to think of various things, but I thought only of the pumps when I came on deck, they were still at still at it, and my watch relieved at the pumps, but the light of the lantern brought on deck to examine the sounding rod, I caught a glimpse of their weary, serious faces. We pumped all four hours. We pumped all night, all day, all week, watch and watch. She was working herself loose and leaking badly, not enough to drown us at once, but enough to kill us with the work of the pumps. And while we pumped the ship was going from us piecemeal. And so, so essentially, uh, I think uh, Conrad is letting us know very clearly that the Judea is on her last voyage. Uh, She's breaking apart. It says, uh, uh, you know, she was being gutted bit by bit. The long boat changed as if by magic into Matchwood where she stood in her grips. I had lashed her myself and was rather proud of my handiwork which had withstood so long the malice of the sea, and we pumped. There was no break in the weather. The sea was white like a sheet of foam, like a cauldron of boiling milk. There was not a break in the clouds, no, not the size of a man's hand. No, not for as much as ten seconds. There was for us no sky, for us no stars, no sun, no universe, nothing but angry clouds and an infuriated sea. We pumped watch and watch for dear life. It seemed to last for months, for years, for all eternity, as though we had been dead and gone to a hell for sailors we forgot the day of the week the name of the month what year it was whether we had ever been ashore the sails blew away she lay broadside on on under a weather cloth the ocean poured over her we did not care we turned those handles and had the eyes of idiots as soon as we crawled on deck i used to take a round turn with a rope about the men the pumps and the mainmast and we turned we turned incessantly with the water to our waist, to our necks, over our heads. It was all one. We had forgotten how it felt to be dry. No, but, but I want you to see uh, <clears throat> what, what the Judea really does for um, a Conrad. And, and he begins to tell us here, you know, the Judea is really failing for age. But essentially what she does is she unleashes, uh, unleashes I should say, the power of Marlowe's youth. And that's really what's happening here. And uh, he, he goes on, he says, This is the deuce of an adventure, something you read about. It is my first voyage as second mate, and I'm only 20, and I'm here lasting it out, as well as any of these men, and keeping my chaps up to the mark. I was pleased. I would not have given up the experience for worlds. I had moments of exultation. Whenever the oldest dismantled craft pitched heavily with her co- counter high in the air, She seemed to throw up like an appeal, like a defiance, like a cry to the clouds without mercy, the words written on her stern, Judea, London, or die. So, unfortunately, we are out of time again today. This always happens to me. But I think that's a good thing, because I have more to talk about uh, the Judea next week. So that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, we will continue our discussion of the Judea and Marlowe, In Joseph Conrad's Novella Youth. You can buy youth at amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy of of youth at abebooks.com. You may be able to find a copy in your local bookstore, or of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have at jbl.pcog.org. Let me know what you think about this series on Conrad. You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.